0: Reflecting on the ending of a day again. End of our third full day and night together. How many different states have we been through today? Or perhaps would it be better to say, how many states have passed through the heart and seemed to be so compelling, so overpowering that we felt locked in them or swept away by them? And yet, actually, where do they go? Our teacher, Ajahn Sumato used to regularly reflect many times a day and even encourage us is a way of getting in perspective the nature of this present moment he would say yesterday is a memory tomorrow is the unknown and now is the knowing when we're reflecting on the past even that which happened this morning yesterday ten years ago we make contact with that in the present moment we can know be aware of that experience that arises in the heart happening now, but oftentimes we're not aware that it's happening now, we get lost in the past with my condition, fearfulness and uncertainty about what might come, or a yearning to find again what we've lost. recollections about what might be, what might happen. Can we, can we simplify and, and recognize that the future has not happened, we don't know, it's unknown, and yet we can know that speculation about the future. We can make, we make contact with the future now. How will it be tomorrow? Will I be fully enlightened tomorrow? there will be such a glow in the hall. <laughs> <coughs> Even Max might fall off his chikung platform. <laughs> we all see this glow in the back. <laughs> possible? Maybe I have a horrible day tomorrow. Fall into a pit of darkness, despair. Can we learn to, to touch and recognize if not known? Can we learn to make plans? not that one should never make plans about the future have intentions about the future but can, can we learn to do that with presence of heart realizing this is a, a plan a speculation a pondering about what might be which we know now now is the knowing of the past now is the knowing of the future now is the knowing of what is arising and ceasing in this present moment And when we put down the compulsive, heedless, fearful, jumping forward, worrying, concern, and speculation about the future, when we realize there's a time for that, but not necessarily all the time, when we can learn to put that down easily, putting down the compulsive, heedless, hearkening back, referring everything to some past memory, comparing. There's a time for consciously recollecting, going back. Learn to recognize the past is, is gone. The future hasn't happened. Allow ourselves to more fully receive this body, these perceptions, these feelings which are arising, shifting, dissolving. And continuing our uh, reflection around the, the calming, steadying teaching at the Buddha gay, what's called samatha. We've also been introducing the the notion of how that can be joined and work together with what's called vipassana insight. Encouraging ourselves not to make a big split between the two, as if they're totally separate can't have one to some degree without the other and ultimately everything merges in this one mind these are two words that talk about two different emphases in our practice the emphasis of the steadying it's just that it's steadying when it's done uh, skillfully, it's it's calming. When the mind is fractured, restless, chasing, avoiding, learning to feel the turbulence of that, the heat of that, the fever of that, the heaviness of that. Get a getting a then when the mind is so fractured, our reality tends to be totally dominated by the, just the conditioned descriptions of it which we take to be real. Thoughts then become so powerful because they seem to really tell me who I am, I'm no good, or I'm this, or who you are, you're in my way. I'm helpless without you. When when, when there's no samadhi, when we're fractured, we tend to take all these feelings and descriptions as, as the ultimate reality. So the life is split up into a million different pieces the good, the bad, the here, the there. Samatha, so we're just talking about skillfully learning to viveka, learning to withdraw not out of hatred but out of gathering steadying stabilizing rooting ourselves in something that actually is happening because thought changes so fast perception changes so fast uh, using the body the Buddha said to grasp at anything brings suffering eventually but if you're going to grasp at something you might as well grasp at the body at least that hangs around longer. <laughs> Thoughts are there, whew, they're gone. At least the bodily vibration more steady, more stable. Hence this, this uh, anchor in Buddhist is fundamentally important to deal with the body. So it steadies the heart. And as we do that skillfully, to learn to allow the energy to little by little getting skilled, allowing the energy to well up, and then noticing that the body is, is moving, breathing, vibrating. This is my first real gateway to, to spiritual teachings. I had some. Uh, peacefulness in meditation being a greedy type it happens to be a kind of type of being a greedy type it was so delicious so luscious so oh, nice feeling that just comes from within gobbled it up wanted more, more, more it was natural enough to want to drink that feeling He was praised by the Buddha to cultivate that feeling. But he did warn it that uh, it doesn't exploit the world. It's blameless in that sense. But he said, if you grasp at it, it will bring suffering. Because the kind of pleasant feeling that arises from steadying the heart on some form like the body, some sign like a sound, like a sensation, even some idea like the concept of patiently being with, being with, being with, being this idea of metta, kindliness, steadies the heart that if we cling to that peaceful feeling it will bring frustration and suffering I didn't know about all those other aspects of the teaching I just knew this felt good and I wanted more and being a fairly slow learner I kept wondering why do I keep getting depressed after every single retreat so peaceful wanting that to be there all the time and then getting disturbed and discouraged in the sense of having lost it it was a kind of a samatha practice that had some vipassana it had some skill at being able to cultivate ease, being able to adjust so that there's some ease, some balance, not too much stress. There still wasn't a lot of wise reflection, or very little wise reflection about what leads to that state. It is natural for these states to be imposed. The Buddha made it very clear that this is not the goal, the final goal of these teachings, but that they're blameless. They're pleasant abiding here and now. They allow us to actually be present for our life and to find all sorts of unexpected, simple joys. The joy of enjoying, just the simplicity of opening a door. The joy of being able to feel our feet touching the earth. The joy of the simple movement, simple breath that Max has been guiding us through in the Qigong who would have thought it would be such enjoyment in something so accessible so simple so freely offered these are some of the blessings of this calm and steady gathering but when it still is accompanied by the sense of mind the assumption that aha I finally got here then then something happens and we feel rot well, what happened? where did it go? and and that's where this notion of uh, looking more deeply looking, inquiring into these assumptions that lead to this sense of being distressed excited, disappointed vipassana is a word for looking more deeply But there is no vipassana without there's no real vipassana without some steadiness of heart otherwise what we might call inquiry and insight meditation is just like thinking well all conditions are very transient and you know they say that the deathless element is that which is amazing and it's no more suffering there anymore it might be wise but then again it might just be thinking that when, in- when our inquiry is associated with the mind being steady enough to be here, when it's more tilted toward the summit the side, we're not really looking very deeply. We're just holding things enough for the steadiness and enjoying that. And by all means, in our li- daily lives when there's so little of that, and when there's so much movement to get somewhere else and trying to fend off what's overwhelming us, that the experience of steadying relaxing filling up is so delicious all means enjoy that and if you are enjoying that wonderful, enjoy it, drink it deeply but I would encourage you to add some at least at the end maybe of a period or occasionally just just, just so slightly we're still enjoying still steadying but also just a little question what's happening here doesn't mean to say we have to oh we're now better better find something to investigate you <coughs> kind of making it some different thing okay five minutes passed and that much so much and now we've got to do some good <laughs> hop the most subtle adjustment one can still be for example if one is with the breath breathing in breathing out steadying just enjoying the tide the gentle wave that comes in how it ripples through the body the wave as it goes out enjoying that enjoying the background vibratory feeling or brightness or freshness of the body and enjoying subtle sound. the essence of just steadying being with. Not a lot of investigation there, but that's alright, it's a holiday. But there's sustained presence. When there's some quality of samatha, there's sustained being here, being here, being here, being here, being here, being here. Not a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. Like restlessness, it's sustained being here. Moments of presence, fluidly really being here, being here, being here, being here. Being here. When there's just a slight adjustment to start inquiring, and we start to can we even notice that things are vibrating? Can we notice that they're changing Mm -hmm. as we enjoy being with the in breath, as we enjoy being with the out breath? Just to start noticing the actuality, not so much being focusing on sustaining the enjoyment, but to start looking at the actuality being with experiencing the actuality of its nature could still be very pleasing if we don't do that to some degree then we how did Ajahn Chah Ajahn noticed that that tended to be a little bit of a disease amongst Western meditators I mean but it's still a blameless disease, and so, well, somewhat blameless, at least we're finding something which is pleasing, but he would notice that uh, people go on retreat, get really blissed out, and then and then go home and just get totally blown away. <laughs> he said, you're like a, a criminal that has a good lawyer. <laughs> he said, you get uh, thrown in the jail, then you just make a phone call, and then you, you get sprung. <laughs> maybe not quite that bad but when there's very little reflection sometimes we can get adept at becoming steady and calm and that's wonderful and refreshing and we have the blessing of that but the Buddha encouraged us to, to also recognize its limitations to by all means enjoy that but then use some of that power use some of that gatheredness to just then know what's going on here what is this state which I think is mine who's owning it anyway what is, what is it that I'm, I've attained not as, as if there's some answer but a question that's encouraging a fresh looking not through an assumption not through the assumption of this is my state not even through the assumption this is good this is bad but a question is to look again look again and like in, in science some experiments some instruments require real steadiness to reveal what's really happening I know they probably don't even use them anymore but when I was going to school when you had a microscope and a slide and if you wanted to put a drop and you look more deeply into the drop of water you would drop on the slide and then line it up and then focus on it. Yet if your eyes moving kind of all over the place, you're gonna get a very distorted picture. The thing's moving all over the place. There's a there's a steadiness, sustained contact. Oh, look at that. Oh it is the nature of a gathered mind to see things the way they are, said the Buddha. So we can also so so this seeing things the way they are and the steadiness of mind work together. So periods of our day will be enjoying and really relaxing, steadying, gathering Using some sorts of adjustment, some sorts of investigation. Without some investigation, one can't get calm at all. Because one will be making too much effort. What is it that knows when I'm making too much effort? What, it, what encourages us to relax? It's that vichara. That's an investigative. That's a, a wisdom aspect that's encouraging us to relax. Or encouraging us to make more effort. Or encouraging us to not lock in so tightly. To expand a little more. And if we're out there, you know, battling away with investigating, 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 getting a results, oh man, I can't just get beyond this, It's just too much, all this doubt and this and that, and it's like a, sometimes we need a break. Too much thinking is exhausting. We need to gather, be able to Not now. Important area, a concern, a worry, a doubt. Okay, just say not now. These are skills which the Buddha encouraged us to to develop so that we have Tanitra brought the word up agility, developing agility. We feel ourselves caught up in something that seems overwhelming, seems unskillful. Don't have to fight it out right there. Don't have to. So it's useful just to get some skills at being a... we can say not now. We can consciously direct the mind of the thought to something more wholesome, like the body. The Buddha described that as taking like a carpenter when he takes a smaller peg, and knocks out a more coarse peg and pulls out the coarse peg and puts a finer peg in his work we find ourselves caught up in something from time to time it's useful just to realize we have this capacity to take the mind and just say not not here, encourage it there with a word like here I am that's a finer peg than being lost in something a peg that brings us back to the body lost in thinking, trying to figure something out even just the thought-thinking. It's a finer peg. It's not just lost in this whole process, something more fine, because there's the thinking, but also an awareness. It's brought us to another dimension. This is useful to know that we don't have to always just stay with everything, investigate everything. another skillful, agile thing that we can do uh, that the Buddha said is and yet if something still is is quite difficult that's happening that feels like it's obstructing us the Buddha said that we can also consciously think just passionately think where is this taking me? the mind is inclining toward revenge or toward just wanting something that's not here right now we can consciously think, "Where is this going? Where is it? This is taking me to a place I want to be right now." So we can we can contemplate the dangers of this is just taking me to being overheated. This is just taking me to fever. We can actually consciously think and sometimes and say, "You know, the, the image that the Buddha gave was it's, it's as if someone who's fond of adornment." like looking in the mirror suddenly were to see that they had a necklace of a dead, a dead animal on them it would be horrifying that's a strong image but sometimes if we notice our mind is going down a direction that just really seems unwholesome we don't have to uh, the Buddha is teaching us there is some flexibility some agility we can actually reflect where is this taking me And just that sometimes can do the trick. Sometimes the mind is just so-and-so said that I can't believe. You know, Can you believe they did that, that? What a thing they did to me. I know they knew what they were doing. I could see it in his eye. Because the mind's going that creating this person, this bad person. And just, you know, sort of, do I want to go here? Generating this whole good, don't want to go there. Sometimes just that takes us back. And the mind settles. Sometimes the mind's still there, just going on there, going on about this event, running it over, doing all this stuff. The Buddha even said that you can learn to just, just as if you go into a place, you can learn to close your eyes or learn just to look around this might frighten us he might sound like oh gosh he's advising repression he's not talking about a permanent position but it's almost like if you're riding a bicycle and you think I hope I don't hit that rock I hope I don't hit that rock oh gosh if I run into that rock it's going to be terrible and you're just locked onto it that's not agile that's called being stuck and so sometimes we can actually learn to look around something it's just like a sore place in the mouth if you ever had that where your tongue just has to keep going now has to, and then, then the whole world is just one big sore place it's incredible it's huge <laughs> or like the, the pimple on our nose which is the whole universe and you know can, can we look around just to give us more agility these are different skillful means that we can just These are very useful, daily, skillful means of learning how to get some sense for inquiring, steadying, calming, skillful use of the thought process. But if something's still going on, which is a lot of our more deep-rooted stuff, the shallower stuff, sometimes when we say not now, we get some skill at being able to, to encourage the mind to take a break, to steady it. But then, some of the more deep-rooted tendencies start to arise, can arise. It's not a just question saying "not now, ha ha." I say, just filling up the mind, overwhelming the body. And this is, uh, this is an important one that we've, we've touched on today. This is just a willingness to be with, but not to be totally lost in. That willingness to be patient with and just to inquire what is feeding all this? What's going on? Having the time to be with the process. This is what our teachers uh, call having all the time in the world. To be with the orphans of consciousness, these aspects that we want to get rid of, we desperately don't like them, but they just keep. We try to get rid of them. This is where the Kuan Yin, the the one who listens at ease to the sounds of the world. This takes us. This adds a new dimension. There is there is the state or the mood, the despair or the sadness or the upset and yet when there's a a listening there's also another dimension that's being added there's a space around it there's something that reflects on it there's a question who's holding this there's a vipassana there's a looking into an inquiring that's also connected with a certain steadiness of heart a certain kind of capacity to stay there with it this is the strength that our samatha practice has given us which we accumulate over the days of our lives that we're practicing that helps us stay with this the image that the buddha gave it's as if you're really going fast you're going fast you're going really fast and trying to get somewhere and it's just and he's and the image that the buddha gives about this agile response is when you're walking, thinking, do I have to walk, uh, run, M- maybe I could walk. And you're walking, and you're walking, and you're walking, thinking, well, I'm walking, but is it possible to stand? Standing, well, is it possible to sit? possible to lie down? This thing that's out of control, it's going, it's going, it's going, and just, holding, being patient with, listening, having the time in the world to allow this orphan, this unexplored formation which seems so much like me or so much like something that's crushing me from somewhere else. To sense how it's being fed, how it's being perpetuated. To relax with it. Calm it down. Let it run its course, which is different from being totally lost in it. It's different from it's one thing to knock a peg with a peg, say, a breath, and then if it just comes back and it's strong enough, then that's then when we can surrender and say, "How can I work with this?" Not in a way of perpetuating aversion, but of, uh, of, of acknowledging, this is calm, this is powerful. Let's explore this, be with it, breathe with it. But Buddha didn't teach that the calm of is the end of the path. He said the goal of this path is the deliverance of the heart, complete deliverance of the heart from suffering, from birth and death. The Buddha taught that this heart actually has within it that which is radiant now he actually said the heart is radiant he taught that the essence of all conditions when we really go to the essence of this moment and all moments there is that which is spacious free (laughs) vimuti sarasa vedama vimuti means freedom (laughs) sarah essence with freedom is the essence the dhamma, of all dhammas, all circumstances is that which is unbounded, unconstricted, free at the heart of, when we're excited, when we're depressed, when we're heavy, when we feel like lead when we're sorry this heart is radiant, it his essence is free But the Buddha realized that this, this is not realized just by affirming it freedom is the essence freedom is the essence I mean when someone asked in his first uh, which our teachers enjoyed telling us and we pass on um, our teacher used to say uh, the Buddha's first Dhamma talk was a flop <laughs> <laughs> he was radiant he'd just been enlightened his Faculties were serene. Someone came walking by. I think the name was Upaka, and he said, "Oh, your faculties are serene. You must have discovered something. Who is your teacher?" And the Buddha gave a lion's roar, declaring the truth: "I am an all-transcender," something like that. Who have I in need of a teacher? And the, the guy said, oh, fine for you. And then just kind of went on. <laughs> and the Buddha wasn't uh, lying. He was talking about this transcendent of birth and death. But then his, his, his next, rather than starting from his declaration of freedom, there's not much we can do with that. We can sort of say, wow, well, what do we do with that? his next talk he he talked about what we can access we can access when we think we're not free when we experience stress or suffering or happiness or unhappiness he talked about in the Four Noble Truths which we'll be looking at in the next few days the experience of suffering being with what's not easy to be with being separated from what you want being put together with what you don't want being united with a painful need, and separated from a peaceful state oftentimes when he spoke about his, his, uh, the essence of his teachings he would say I just teach two things I teach about suffering and the ending of suffering but the ending of suffering this spaciousness this freedom that's just the essence of all things rather than trying to get us just to believe it just to somehow cling to the idea Nibbana is my true nature Nibbana is my true nature as a thought it can be helpful it can be helpful even if we don't know it it can be helpful to encourage us to relax that the essence of all conditions is that can as a helpful thought can keep us from running so much over there or running so much over there but just the desperate clinging to thought that thought isn't free ultimately so the Buddha encouraged us to look at what we chant every morning in our chanting the five focuses of the grasping mind when the mind is grasping what gives rise to suffering and this is when we just start to incline our mind now incline some of this yes drink whatever calm we can drink up and steadiness But at least starting to adjust some of our thinking to noticing what is this that we're owning and grasping and struggling with and rejecting This is the, the work of is and start to look into the, the characteristics and the qualities of this experience that we call "my world." The world of form having a body. the earth, other forms, in the wind and the light and the dark the in-breath and the out-breath, all these forms which are made up of these, these elements of hardness and softness and vibration and heat, liquidity. The coarse aspect of our existence is a form. And then the, that which notices the form reacts, responds through contact with the form, the feelings of liking and not liking pleasure and pain, the perceptions, the myriad perceptions that recognize I'm sitting here third night, how many days to go, (laughs) ending of a day, I'm so tired. So these perceptions talk Then volitions, states, moods of wanting and being upset and being hopeful, being bored, moments of experience. The investigative mind, the, the vipassana, steadies the intention and just starts to notice. Can we start to notice change, what the Buddha called anicca? didn't tell us to believe in change as a doctrine. I believe in change. Notice it's written in the negative form, ah, Nietzsche. is a word of which means permanent, it's a thing. Anitza means it's not that. This way of reflection is not trying to hammer some new doctrine into our head, but it's encouraging us to look more freshly. Because when we're unconscious, we just assume my body, my happiness. My life, my despair. When we start to be with a condition and notice it's shifting and changing, it's not what we thought it was. It's becoming otherwise. It's becoming otherwise. I'm very, very uh, grateful for this uh, teaching of Anita. The Buddha said if we deeply go into this one teaching, it takes us all the way. There's this understanding phramitsa of suffering, understanding of selflessness, understanding of emptiness, all emerges out of here and now, contact with, being with, moment to moment, that things are shifting, becoming otherwise, melting, transforming. I'm very grateful. When I first met Ajahn Shah, my first uh, meeting with him, he was asking me where I'd come from, what I was doing. I'd come from Oxford writing a thesis on art, science, and mysticism. That was my title. Art, science, and mysticism in the works of Aldous Huxley. That's like the cosmos. (laughs) And I had words like cosmic consciousness which inspired me and uh, I had some unconscious facility for getting a little bit calm. I didn't really have a proper teacher but then I would keep losing it. But I had this idea. I just had to get there. I went to see Ajahn Chai, asked me about my meditations and he wasn't that impressed. <laughs> And he got down on the ground and started sniffing like a dog, sniffing over here, sniffing over here, sniffing over, <laughs> here, sniffing over here, sniffing over here, sniffing over here. And everyone was laughing as he was making comments. <laughs> I said, Doug, how about a translation? And then fa- finally, I got the translation, and he said, Ajahn Chah says, you're just sniffing all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, uh, if you understand one thing well you understand everything just be with the breath my nose (laughs) 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 the last thing I wanted to be reminded of (laughs) be with the breath you'll understand everything and he said let tomato teach you how to be a monk know he was laughing at me it was, it was somehow he did it with such love and compassion but over time i've really come to appreciate that and it's become the mean more and more because the breath and, and being with the entering and leaving at the nostrils a little bit a little bit learning to relax the body where calm was where calm is steadying and then can one notice an in-breath can one notice the so-called in-breath which is a noun a thing does it, does it ever stay the same? does it miraculously dissolve and cease become an out-breath miraculously cease become an in-breath All that arises ceases. Every in-breath arises and ceases. Every out-breath arises and ceases. Every sound. Every form. This body. This day. Every feeling, every meditation, what we call a meditation, beginning and an ending, every retreat, every galaxy, rises and ceases. We start to allow ourselves to, even in our calm, notice the arising and ceasing, the shifting, the changing. When the heart is gathered, to some degree, even some degree, we start to see how quickly the body is shifting and changing, feelings of change, consciousness, moments of seeing, moments of hearing, moments of feeling, moments of thinking, a torrent of change. And yet that's where we're imagining that we're going to find stability. Ajinsa's favorite mantra was like my name which means not certain. It's not certain because it's becoming otherwise. It's becoming otherwise. Every thought, opinion about itself, about others seems so real. When we're discouraged, when there's this mood of discouragement, the thing—it's me. I'm locked in. I'm discouraged with this painful feeling. Can we notice that thought appear and then dissolve? Get a feeling for that thought. It was real. It's like a bubble. It has—it's a scary bubble, but then pops. who are we when the thought dissolves who's identifying with us what's actually a torrent of shift and change it's it's like I always come back to the image of a waterfall waterfall sounds like a thing but can you take it away can you grab it we can make contact but we can't keep it we try to we just get frustrated we can talk about it as being my waterfall we can talk about it as a thing but those, those words just describe something which is what it is it's not a thing and if we try to grasp it it's suffering it's empty of thingness but it is what it is. When we're grasping, becoming, identifying with, leaning on feelings, forms, things, then there's going to be disappointment when they shift. The Buddha described it as (laughs) for him who clings, for the one who clings, there is wavering because what we're clinging to, whether it's a form, whether it's a feeling, a person, a circumstance, when we're clinging to something that's shifting, then we're going to move with that. I once got uh, asked to clean a, the barn of a temple elephant. which was this lovely elephant so I was excited to clean the barn I was up on a ladder cleaning the barn cleaning the barn of the temple elephant and suddenly the whole world starts to shake and think what is going on and looking down the elephant stuck its head in the door and has its trunk on the bottom of the ladder <laughs> and it's become an, an image ever since of what it's like when we're literally climbing onto conditions of our health of our body of our life mind. In the naughty kind of elephant shakes us free that's the nature of conditions it's not even knowledge it's the nature of conditions to become otherwise for the one who cleans there is wavering but when there is non-cleaning when there is not cleaning there is no wavering without wavering When wavering is not there, there's calm. When there's calm, then there's no bending. When there's not bending, there's no coming and no going. With no coming and no going, there's no death and no birth. With no death and no birth, there's no here, no there. Nothing between the two. The end of suffering. Clinging to form, frustrated, becoming, frustrated, becoming, the endless wandering. The Buddha encouraged us to actually notice change. Notice the stress of wishing for the uncertain to be certain. Notice the ending, the ending of a breath, the ending of a thought. dissolving back into what remains each condition that changes dissolves back into the awareness we imagine that it's somehow conditions that are wrong that are evil then we try to kind of push them away and just hold on to a sense of spaciousness So that's another form of clinging a, a clinging to to not having contact it's not the contact it's not the it's not even the hindrances that cause us to suffer it's the relationship with them it's the becoming, the identifying with something. When we're on that ladder and something shakes the ladder, then we shake. But if we're not resting on the ladder, we're resting in presence, resting in the heart, even touching, touching the in and the out breath, touching the daylight and then the evening, touching and being with the certainty and then the doubt. then there is movement, but there is not being turned and tumbled by the movement. In those moments, then, there is the movement, but there we're resting in the spaciousness. The form is dissolving back into the spaciousness. The spaciousness is manifesting as the form. like to finish with a, with a simple image you know Ajahn Chah would say is that rock over there heavy someone would say oh it's really heavy or someone else would say, oh it's not that heavy you see it's heavy if you try to pick it up try to push it or shift it but it's not heavy if you're not trying to move it it's not heavy if you're not trying to pick it up And many times, many times when there's a a mood that I'm I'm owning, I'm carrying it, a doubt, a worry, it's there. And then in one moment, if I say, well, who's worrying? Because there's this unspoken assumption that this is me, it's my condition, we've become, we've, we've climbed onto this condition. And in the moment when I realize it's just worry, it's not that it necessarily has to dissolve, but rather than having to carry it or get rid of it, it just then becomes worry. And there's a weight that drops away. It becomes dhamma rather than me. It becomes not itself, it becomes its own formation with shifting and changing. even on the Buddha's own night of enlightenment and even for seven years from time to time he would describe Mara creeping up on him this tempter he would just talk about uh, words to the effect that would appear in his mind in the Buddha's mind you're not really enlightened you're just running away from things either had to Think, oh God, that's in my mind. I thought I was the Buddha. I better go back and apologize. Didn't have to crush it. He knew. It. He knew it. It's not that he never experienced doubt. He didn't own the doubt in the sense of he didn't get tangled with it. He just said, "I know you recognized it as a condition that arises and ceases." so even with doubt even with worry even with fear it's a possibility when we're not grasping rejecting becoming having a moment sense of it like this Thank you for your patience this evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.